Returning to Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 1, Take your time, Philip, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, and open your Bible, please, at chapter 4. Father, we thank you what, have been, what has been prayed and what we have been singing. But now we come to thy precious word. We pray, Lord, that thou wilt still hearts. That thou would settle us in thy holy presence and that thou would speak to us Lord we need to hear way above the songs way above the prayers way above the preaching we need to hear thy voice speak Lord to us tonight in Jesus name Amen Imagine mother and father that you knew for 110% sure that you, your children, all your siblings, carload, would all be wiped out in a road traffic accident on the M1. God forbid. But not only that, but you knew that 100% that it was going to be at Junction 13 at 4.10 p.m. on Friday the 1st of March 2024. Would you drive up or down the motorway with your family that day? Would you go out in your car at all that day? Would you let your children out of your sight that day? I think you'd be a great fool if you would. So now please answer me this question at the beginning of this service tonight. To those who are not saved, and to those who are in a backslidden state who are not ready for the Lord's appearing, why do you go on driving, working, sleeping, eating, buying, selling, Everything that you do every day of the week, why do you do all that when you have and I have a word far more sure than anything of certainty? It's behind me. Surely I come quickly. Do you know that six times 
in the revelation, in the close of the revelation, the last words, the Lord spoke to man. I'm speaking to you tonight. Surely, behold, I come quickly. That's a word from the eternal Son, the very epitome of truth who cannot lie. Says he's coming quickly. If you link that text up with Luke 17, two shall be in the bed, one shall be taken and the other left. Night time. Two shall be grinding at the mill in the factory in the morning time. One shall be taken and the other left. Two shall be in the field and suddenly one shall disappear and the other shall be left. Couple that along with seven times when our Lord Jesus said, he would come as a thief in the night. And he says, knowing that hour that the thief would come and come to plunder and rob your house, would you not stay up and watch? And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise incorruptible and we shall be changed. You see that word in the twinkling of an eye? One three hundred thousandth of a second. One three hundred thousandth of a second. There is no week. There is no day. There is no year, there is no hour, there is no minute, there's no parameters here regarding this. You don't know, we don't know when and where and how. It's going to come, my friend, the Lord's going to return in the twinkling of an eye, the tick of a clock, the toil of a bell, the toll of a bell. And the trample of the foot. Now the worst thing could happen you tonight if you die and you're not saved. And it's awful to think of it. You'll go to hell and you'll go into the lake of fire for all eternity. But worse than that, worse than that, If the Lord Jesus Christ was to come tonight, now, you would go out to face the Antichrist, the beast, the man of sin. And that's only one of eight or nine names given to him in the Bible. You will go straight out to meet him And you'll take his mark, six, 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 on your forehead or on your right arm. Revelation 13, 17 and 18. And you, my friend, because remember, the church is going to be raptured, snatched out, and we're going to see that tonight as we close. And as soon as the church is raptured and snatched out of this world, the tribulation begins. And the Antichrist appears. I I say appears because he's already on the scene and we'll deal with that some night. And you will go out to meet him and you'll face these awful plagues of the great tribulation period called the fierce wrath of God. Revelation 6, 9 and 16. Chapters 9 and 16. I was reading in the prophet of Zechariah the other day. 
2,500 time, 2,500 years ago, when the prophet mentions the great battle of Armageddon, when nuclear and chemical bombs will be released, it couldn't mean anything else. You see, for centuries, preachers couldn't understand Zechariah and other scriptures. They couldn't understand what it meant when it says in Zechariah 14 that the flesh will melt as they stand on their feet. And that in the place of their eyes, there only be holes. And their tongue will burn like fire. That only can be atomic or nuclear power. We can understand that now. We can understand it very well now. What an awesome place it will be to be here when the wrath of God pours out on wicked, evil, Christ-rejecting sinners that spurned his cross and mocked his gospel all the years. Adrian Kelso prayed a prayer the other night in the prayer meeting and it's quite a while since I heard it prayed. They used to pray it in Fermanagh in my early days when families met to pray for their family. I haven't heard it for a while yet where Judah said to Joseph regarding Benjamin, how can I go up to my father if the lad be not with us? Friend, how can you go home to heaven and leave your lad to face this awful, awful scene? that could start tonight. Because we haven't time to do this tonight, but chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians and chapter 5 shouldn't have headings in them. I believe there should be all one reading. And chapter 4 is the rapture, and chapter 5 is the revelation when the tribulation period comes in. We're not dealing with that tonight. But I want you tonight to consider how can you, if you have any love at all for your children or for your family, or if you believe the Word of God at all, and I'm not asking you to go back 2,500 years to the prophets of the Old Testament that tell us time and time again about this. We have been warned. The words of our Lord Jesus himself in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 17, the Revelation, Peter's writings, oh, so much more that you have in this book before you every day of the week, every day of the year, which I would think some of you never even read last week. How, how can you just go on through life not knowing at any moment we're gone and your boy is left and your family's left and you're never found in a prayer meeting for them. How can it be? We have before us here this evening one of the greatest portions, and I say just one, of the greatest portions of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest, one of the greatest texts of the Paul, Apostle Paul. And it's in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 14, verse 13. Let us read these scriptures together and then we'll try and expound something from them. You just sit tight tonight now. 
Forget about tomorrow and last week. And let the Holy Spirit speak to you through his word. Through his precious word. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now in this chapter and the next chapter, you'll get sleep six times. The most original name for a graveyard, for burial ground, is a cemetery. Now listen carefully what I'm saying. It's the original Greek word for graveyard is a cemetery, which means a crypt, which means a sleeping chamber, a dormitory. It is the word dormitory. I looked out there not long ago and I saw the snowdrops and the daffodils are coming. All winter they were dormant, but they're coming to life now. That's the same metaphor here Paul's using for death. He uses sleep. Look at it again, for I will not have you to be ignorant or misinformed, my brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That's the word used for death. They had died. It's not their souls dead. There's no such thing as soul sleep. The moment the saint of God dies, it's absent from the body, present with the Lord, which is far better. We're talking about the body. He's talking about the body in death. The body is sleeping. It's going to waken one day just as you will go to sleep and hopefully you'll waken in the morning. So let's read on. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Now I want you to stop there because the wee words in Scripture are very important. If you take the if out of this, you have an awful mess. He doesn't say, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. He said, if we believe that Jesus died, that's the gospel, and rose again. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world and died for your sins and rose again? That's the gospel. And if you trust him tonight, you can be saved for all eternity. If. If you do, you will. And if you don't, you won't. It's just as simple as that. And Paul can make it no more simple here. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which are sleeping, Jesus will God bring with them. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not proceed. Go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's the word raptured. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Amen. And as we come to the close of our meeting, we will expound 
these verses, but we have something to say before we do because we must keep the scriptures always, we must always keep it in context. I have discovered lately that every time the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul, Peter, John, any other of the writers refer to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, they preface it always with the conduct and the lifestyle of believers. In the light of this sudden coming, this eminent return, this snatching away of any split second of the church, how were they living? And that applies tonight to you and me. How are we living? Remember Peter in the second epistle says, seeing the end is near and the world's going to be burnt up and melt with fervent heat. He's talking about power that was beyond them for he had only, hadn't even a match. and everything will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be? And then he says this, in all holiness and godliness. And John says to us in one of his epistles, every man that has this hope within him, what hope? This hope, the glorious hope of the resurrection and the rapture, into the presence of Christ, every man that has this hope within him purifies himself. I tell you, this is a doctrine that keeps you clean. should keep you clean. And why would it not keep you clean and holy if you could be in his presence before nine o'clock, eight o'clock? Hmm? Would you want to die any other way? He's coming for a, a clean bride. He's coming for a chaste bride. He's coming for a pure bride. How will he find you if he can? Now I want you to look at the end, last verse in chapter 3, the one before this, verse 13. Just let the word speak to you now. To the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. You see those mighty words there? You see what he's saying in the end of that chapter 3? That you would walk unblameable and holy before God because the Lord is coming very soon. And furthermore, he says, we beseech you. a strong language. We exhort you that you walk to please God and you would abound more and more and more. In other words, that you'd go on and on and on pleasing the Lord. Every day of your life, you see so many of God's people, you get saved and then they're stuck there. They never go on. Never go on to sanctification. Never go on to holiness. Never go on to purity. Stay in carnality. But that's not what he's talking about. That's not, he's not talking about carnality by any means. I can tell you here. He's talking about walking to please God. He told about the walk in verse 1 of chapter, of chapter 4. And he talks about the will. In verses 4 and 5, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. In verse 3 it says, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. 
You see that word there, concupiscence? In verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence. Do you know what it means? Sexual lustfulness. Lustful sexual immoral desires. That's the first thing the apostle hits coming down to the rapture. And is it any wonder? Is it any wonder? Because he says here in verse 5, there's no difference, not in the lustful sexual concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. And he's saying here, even some of these people in Thessalonica, which was an ungodly sexual place, they're no better than the world. That's what he's saying. And I can tell you there's a lot of God's people and they're no better than the world when it comes to these things. And if there's anything needs to be addressed more in the light of the coming of the Lord, it's this damnable, damnable immorality. For there are many living in this day in Thessalonica, as there are many living today in this church age, many Christians, and they're not one bit better in the world when it comes to these sexual, lustful things. Don't you be talking to me about watching and waiting and singing at the top of your voice, the king is coming. If you're tinkering and fiddling with stuff like this, do you hear me now? How dare you sing or we sing, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine for thee, all the pleasures of sin. No, no. I tell you, we were to follow you about and watch you in a quiet place and a secret place when your wife was in bed, sir. And don't be praying the Lord's Prayer either. Don't be rappling it off in some funeral service after the minister. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. You don't be praying for his kingdom to come. You need to pray that the kingdom will go. For if the king would come, the king is coming. If he would come and find you in that state, maybe not saved at all. We're coming down to the rapture here. And we're taking the word of God here. And I'm not here to soap you up tonight. I'm here to tell you the truth. The text here mentions in verse 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you would be set apart and separate from the world and that you should abstain from fornication. Now that's sexual relationship of any kind before marriage. The word forno is where we get the word porno from. And society tonight is awash with filth of this kind. So if you're going to wait for the Lord and watch for the Lord now and say, Lord, even come, Lord Jesus, a day you need to be living right. There's an accumulation of filth, an acceleration of filth, and an accommodation everywhere you look around you for this woke, immoral, evil stuff that's around us. And just let the Holy Spirit speak to you now tonight because you know your own heart. You maybe be glad tonight that you, the Lord, didn't come during the week or some night. Oh, the curse, the curse 
of this stuff on YouTube, WhatsApp, Facebook. And I would safely say tonight, and this message burdened in my heart, I'd just love to go on and preach about the rapture. But I can't take text out of its context. God called me to expound the word. I would safely say tonight that one of the things that probably keeps you back from the prayer meeting and praise and looking forward to the Lord's return is this sort of stuff. And I don't care how old you are. I just want you to examine your heart tonight. Can you say in this area of your life, Lord, come. Lord, come. I don't think we all couldn't. Many of us couldn't. And that's why it needs to be addressed. Because my dear friend, I'm long enough on the road and long enough on the tooth to know and I've met many, too many people to know that when this sort of stuff can get a, gets a grip, it's very hard to break. It's harder to break than anything else you'll deal with. Hear me now. You break the drugs and you'll break the drink and a hundred other things, but this, because the devil has engineered it to the mind. And if you want help tonight, the only answer for you is prayer and repentance and confession. And get rid of all that stuff if you mean business with God. We'll help you tonight. It'll not enhance your looking forward to the coming of the Lord if you're at any of this. You need to abstain from all appearance of evil. We need vessels sanctified and meat and honorable for the master's use. Sanctification is the word used here. That's the word used for saint. It's the word used for sanctuary. And our bodies are sanctuaries, they're vessels of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit's living within you and working through you, I tell you, and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll not be at this stuff. No, you'll not want to be at this. But let's go on again to number two here, what we'll have to look at. I hope you mark these as we go down now. We're talking about the rapture. You're talking, you're singing about the king coming and you're going to be with Jesus and you have a mansion in the sky and all. Are you ready? Let's look at verse 6. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any his brother. That's his brother in the Lord. Talking about the world. But no man would go on and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified he had already told. Although he's only three weeks in Thessalonica, he must have spent most of the time preaching on the second coming. On the way to behave. And if he did that then, should I not be doing it now? That word there is covetousness, defrauding, covetousness or greediness. Of course, Paul tells us in the last days, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, greedy, despisers of good, unruly, disobedient to parents. And he goes on with that list of stuff. 
And friend, it's bad enough if it's going on with the world, but it's the people of God with one another. How are you with your brother in the Lord? How are you with the pastor, the, the oversight and the people of this assembly? Do you talk about them? How are you in your everyday work and everyday life? Are you defrauding? Hmm? Frauding the government? Tax? Fat? Skating about in cars with red diesel in them? Oh Lord, even so come. God help you. So he moves on from the lustfulness to the greediness to the coldness in verse 9. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for yourselves were taught of God to love one another. May God give me more love for my brothers and my sisters, and I pray it every day, and I need it. Verse 10, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but we seek you, brethren, that you increase more and more. There's the more and more again. More and more. Oh, God, help us to love one another. Lift this old coldness. Give me that love, Lord, that love for the table, that love for the prayer meeting, that love for my brother, that love for my sister, that love for the gospel, that love for the cross. So you have lustfulness, you have covetousness, you have coldness. And here in verse 4, here we have in verse 11, quietness. And that ye study to be quiet. Now I have produced my own commentary on this verse. I was right to produce a commentary as anybody. And I produced my own commentary on this verse and it's this. Watch your tongue. Get on with your work. Mind your business. And study and stay in the Word. I think that's too bad. What a mighty verse this is. Study to be quiet. Do your own business. Don't be minding other people's business. Keep your nose out of this other mess. And your tongue too, be quiet. <laughs> I heard not so long ago about a wee boy who was seven years of age. And there was people in the house and they were taking their dinner. <laughs> and and every now and again, the wee boy would chirp up or something. And he'd interrupt them. And the mother said, you be quiet now. Quiet now and take up your dinner. So then things went on a wee bit, and then he started again. <laughs> he started again. She got vexed. Would you shut your mouth and eat your dinner? He says, I had to bother doing that. We need to keep our mouths closed at times. And watch what we say. Quietness and confidence is our strength. Peter says a meek and quiet spirit in the sight of God is a great price. Now we're coming on down. Lustfulness, greediness, coldness, quietness. Verse 12 the witness, that ye may walk honorable, honestly are honorable towards them that are without. That's the world. And that ye may have lack of nothing. I tell you, it's no wonder that the world attacks the church. It's no wonder the world attacks Christians when they see some of the things that they're doing. And some of the things that they're at, and God help us if we're damned souls by our witness and by our testimony. The word is honorable here. 
said of Samuel, he was an honorable man, and all that he said came to pass. He was honorable with his lips. Are you honorable? Have you honored your neighbors, honor with your family? Now, if you've marked all these things and you're not found wanting in any of them now, let us lift up our head and look up for our Redeemer draweth nigh. Now let us say, even so come, Lord Jesus, there's nothing that I know of. There's nothing betwixt thee that I know of. I have read your word and I understand your word and I've heard it preached, Lord, and I don't know of anything. I don't know of any bills that I haven't paid. I don't know of anybody that I've wronged. I don't know of anything that I've done to my wife or to my family. I don't know anything that's between us. I've confessed I've repented of things in the past. I, 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 I know the blood cleanses from all sin. Lord, I'm looking to you come. Even so, come. Come, Lord Jesus. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Saviour. We will change these vile bodies one day. Now, verse 13. The problem you see with these Thessalonians were that Paul had told them already a number of times that the Lord was going to come suddenly and take them out. That the Lord would come in a moment and he'd snatch the church away. And they were, uh, Thessalonica was an evil place. And they thought to themselves, this, this, and they were saying to themselves, I am quite sure. This is great news to know. And boy, I tell you, it's great news for me to know too. It's great news to know that we're going to go to be with the Lord the moment, that moment, whenever that moment would be, we're going to be absent from the body, we're going to be present with the Lord, we're going to be taken into the glory. But what about our loved ones? This was their problem. What about my mother and my father and my son and my daughter? that we buried and are in the tombs. What's going to happen to them? Will we never see them again? Is it over? Is that the last of us as far as they are concerned? And then Paul comes here to put them right. Verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. You know what's going to happen? He's going to bring our souls back with him to meet our bodies. And body, soul, and spirit will free forever in his presence. He'll change your vile bodies. He says you have no need to concern yourself or worry about that. We don't sorrow, he says. You have no need to sorrow like those that have no hope. You know, I have for 40 years done many funerals and I've been at many gravesites. And I can honestly say that the hardest thing probably ever done was to bury somebody without hope. No hope. And if you were to die in your sins tonight, you have no hope. None whatsoever. 
Tell me where your hope lies now. If your hope is not in Christ. On 24th of January 1965, Monday morning, I was sitting in the old farmstead. My mother had made a bit of breakfast. I was about to head out on to lift a load of milk. There was an old radio, old wireless in the house, and it rustled and crackled. My mother had it on. And then this news bulletin came on. I can remember it well, at about 19 years of age. Sir Winston Churchill died at 8 o'clock this morning. He has lost the greatest battle of all. And even my wayward wild days, I thought of that. Do you know what the last words of Winston Churchill was? I am bored with it all. I am bored with it all. They buried him on the following Saturday. Do you know what he said? I want entitled my funeral to be called. This is what I want my funeral service called. Operation No Hope. Old uncle, years later when I got saved, had a wee plastic disc, disc. He played it on a gramophone of Winston Churchill's funeral. I remember listening to it. And the announcer saying, Operation, no hope. No hope. How sad. How awful. How tragic it is to bury a man like that, a woman, a boy or a girl, without hope. Daddy! Daddy! 20-year-old boy cried from an upstairs bedroom in County Antrim. There's up in a brethren home. Mother died. Took cancer. Was confined to bed. The father was washing a few dishes down in the sink. Daddy! Daddy! And he ran up the stairs. Here goes for hell! Here goes for hell. The care is not you. You see the sorrowing, we're nearly done. You see the sleeping. And you hear the shouting. For the Lord himself, in verse 16, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Just because they're a bit further down, we shall be all caught up. And I'll tell you what that catch-up means now as we close. The Lord Jesus shouts three times. Our brother mentioned that in the prayer meeting the other night. And you can take different aspects of a shouting. But every shout that our Lord Jesus Christ gave in the three shouts was to raise the saints from the dead.
when he finished, when he cried, finished on the cross, and gave up the ghost, with a loud voice, he cried out, and the grave of the Old Testament saints opened, and came into Jerusalem, many of them, not them all, many of them. When he stood at the grave of Lazarus, when Lazarus was four dead, days dead and stinking, Lazarus, come forth. The saint of God came out. I hear when he cries at the rapture, any moment, the trumpet shall sound dead in Christ shall rise and he shall shout and every dead saint will rise to meet him in the air. No singing that tonight. Maybe we'll get just to singing when we close. We're not going to stay for prayer tonight. We're going to give you an opportunity tonight just to talk and sort things out. So in verse 17, as we close, there's the seizing. Don't, don't let anybody talk you out of the rapture. I had a correspondence. I get them regularly. I'm thinking of putting my blue bin from the back door around to the front door. Because the postman comes to the front door. And it'll be far handier him putting it in and trailing it into the house and me trailing it out the back. Now Pat says, there's that many bins now? She says, ah, Browden, you give me a handful of stuff the other day. Brown bin, black bin, blue bin. Now I see a red bin somewhere. Some boy sent me stuff during the week. He must, well, maybe he's here today, I don't know. If you are, God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> it was about the rapture. You see, oh, to try to explain this away and all. But the thing about it is, why wouldn't he put his name on it? Why wouldn't he put his name to it? But you know, when I was reading it, you know what I thought? This is one of the best signs of the Lord's return. Because Peter says, in the last days, scoffers will arise. I just told in my hand that thing I held it in my hand. I said, Lord, this is a great sign. Scoffers. So here we have, in this verse here, the sighting. Then we which are alive, that's he's talking, we, the ones already down, the mothers, the fathers, your brother, your sister, that died in the Lord, glory to God. Glory to God, he'll bring the soul back with them and he'll meet their bodies. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's the word caught up. That's the word snatched away. Harpazo, snatched out immediately. Oh, but the rapture is not mentioned in the Bible. Another is the Trinity. And if you don't believe in the Trinity tonight, you're a heretic. Another is substitution either. Don't be at that nonsense now, whoever you are. Don't be at that nonsense. This, this, this word harpazo is the snatching away immediately at speed. Do you know that a, do you know that an eagle, a mile up in the sky, can see a small rabbit? Clearly, one mile up. And that eagle can swoop down and sweep round and in and lift it. That's how quick. And it'll be far quicker than that. This is going to be. Oh, but it's not in the Bible. Well, then what happened to Enoch? 
Enoch walked with God, and suddenly he was translated the same word. He was taken up. And how did our Lord Jesus get out? On the, how did he get out in, in Acts 1 there? He was taken up. What did Paul say in 2 Corinthians? And he said, I was caught up to heaven, to the third heaven. That's the same word. What happened in the eunuch, the Philip and the eunuch? After he was baptized and after he received the Spirit of the Lord, caught, caught Philip away. That's the same word. Don't try to twist it and don't try to turn it that at any split second now, there's not one prophecy to be fulfilled. When you enter the next chapter, there is. And they're being fulfilled day by day. Not one. So there we have it. The seizing. The sorrowing. The sleeping. Ah, but here's the last one. There's the sighting. <laughs> There's the sighting. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, with them. The old mother will be there. Glory to God, alert to the Lord. Day or two before she was died. Up together with them in the clouds. Let them be clouds of people or clouds in the air. It will not matter. To meet the Lord in the air. There will be a meeting. I'm not, this boy sung this morning. I'm not going to sing, sing tonight. There will be a meeting. A meeting in the air. Hallelujah. I want to sing it there in a minute. To meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to meet him. You don't think we'll see him? You don't think we'll be with him for all eternity and not know him? Forever with the Lord. What a sight that will be. I buried a woman one time and her, her son rang me and asked me what to bury and he said, Bertie, the first thing he said, he didn't say she died or nothing, we were expecting him. He said, she's seen a sight that we have never seen. <laughs> I'm going to see him. But not only that, listen to what Paul says in Philippians 3. Our citizenship is in heaven. From whence I look, for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Hallelujah. Forever with the Lord. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? I'm longing to see him. I honestly am. I want to see him and thank him the day that he saved me and lifted me transformed me and blessed me and delivered me and had patience with me and long suffering with me oh blessed Savior I can say blessed Savior if it were not for those dear ones that are not saved even so come so come Lord Jesus heard of an old man in America. He lived on his own. He had a collie dog. And he loved that dog and that dog loved him. The dog was 12 years of age when the old man died. And wherever they were, they had to take his body in the train to be buried. And the dog was down at the station, sat watching him 
coffin going into the tree. And after the train left, made his way up to the shack. Every day, and that train came seven days a week, every day that train came in, that dog went down and sat at the carriage door where his master went in. And every day he walked back. Down, back, looking for the master. Are you looking for him? You mightn't have too long to look or too long to wait. Let us pray. You can prepare that and put it up for us, Sharon, while we say a word of prayer. There's going to be a meeting in the air. These girls will sing to us. Father, what can we say? We cannot argue with your truth. And we're glad we have truth in a lying world. We're glad we have good news in a, new, in a world of fake news. We're glad we have someone whom we can trust with our body, with our soul, and with our spirit. And those loved ones of ours that are gone are safe on that heavenly shore. And one day there's going to be a mighty reunification as we all gather round the marriage supper of the Lamb. O oh God, bless thy word tonight. Save souls. Restore backsliders. Put an inch to our steps, Lord. Let us be done with lesser things. Away with the greed. And the materialistic things. And let us look on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith for the joy that was set before well Lord there was no joy on the cross but for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross let us endure Lord whatever comes our way it's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus accept our thanks and answer prayer in the Saviour's name now we're going to sing there's going to be a meeting in the air and then you can sit on and chat. But I want you to try and focus on the fact that if there's somebody here tonight, you want to talk to somebody, you take this opportunity and talk to them. See us, Stephen, or some of us, man. Don't talk about foolish things. Talk about the Lord and get your soul blessed more even tonight as we leave, before we leave the sanctuary. All right. <coughs>